Hey everyone, you're listening to Can You Hear Us Now? Inclusivity in the Media, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of those in marginalized communities who are frequently overlooked in the mainstream media. Each week we discuss new topics in order to promote representation of those who are recurrently silenced or ignored. Our program aims to bring awareness to these issues in order to stimulate inclusivity in the media. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, my name is Kirsten Steinbacher and I'm here with my colleague Monique Williams. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Can You Hear Us Now? For this week's episode, we will be diving into the perception of black women working in the news industry and some of the challenges they may face. We have a really special guest that Monique will introduce and give you a little background on. Being a black woman in a predominantly white industry, like the news industry, whether on air or as a field reporter, you are susceptible to some level of scrutiny. One being black women wearing their natural hair on air. Back in fall of 2021, the hashtag natural hair on air went viral on Twitter. The hashtag empowered black women journalists to wear their natural hair on the job with pride instead of conforming to European beauty standards. UNC adjunct professor Tamara Gibbs is here with us today to unpack these elements and share her experience being a black woman in the news industry. Hi, Tamara. We're so glad you could join us today. We can kick things off by starting with your background and a little bit about how you got into the news industry. Will you tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today? My hometown is Carbondale, Illinois, which is very similar to a Chapel Hill in that the primary industry there is a university, a major state school. You know, and so I toyed around with the idea of being becoming a doctor. And um, but my math skills uh, leave much to be desired. <laughs> yeah, you don't want me managing anything related to math. And I loved plant biology in particular. And I worked in quite a few uh, labs at the University of Illinois. Um, And when it came time to declare a major, you know, I had some soul searching to do, you know, I could go in the researcher route for a plant biology, agriculture specifically, um, or journalism. And I realized that my passion was really for writing and telling stories. And so I applied to the School of Journalism at the University of Illinois. There you have to uh, apply to get into their J school, even as an undergrad. And um, yeah, uh, at least at the time that I was there, yeah, you couldn't just say, oh, I want to be a journalism major. No, you had to apply. And and then they had to decide if they wanted to accept (laughs) you or, or not. Fortunately, they did accept me. And I completed my last two years in college as part of the School of Journalism. So. Uh, rigorous program, very proud to have a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, another D1 school. Um, And it really prepared me for the world. Um, I had some great professors, many who had had, uh, you know, professional experience. Uh, One of my most notable professors was Jerry Landay. He's a former CBS News correspondent. Um, He has since passed away, but he left an indelible mark on me uh, just in terms of my face alone wasn't going to get me, um, you know, the career trajectory that I wanted, that I really had to hone the skills in terms of writing and being able to be an effective storyteller. 
But I always knew that I didn't want to stay a talking head forever. So it was important for me to get a graduate degree. So I worked first for about a year and a half. And uh, I you know, made my way up to morning anchor at that show. I came in as a, an assignment editor and weekend reporter. Um, you know, so my first job wasn't exclusively on air. You know, I only really got to report, you know, one, two days a week. And, but I was an assignment manager, but it helped me to understand how to put stories together. It also was a great lesson in how to work with people of various personalities how to develop thick skin. I had a great mentor at that station um, who really helped me to understand that being able to speak up and advocate for myself uh, was an important thing. His name was Terry Caldwell. He was the main anchor at WSIL TV3 in Carterville, Illinois, when I was there. Uh, he has since passed, but was a great mentor to me. Cool. Um, so I... Um, I ended up, you know, deciding, hey, I, I'm going to go for this graduate degree. So I found a graduate program with the University of Illinois at Springfield. And it's basically a combination of journalism and political science, public affairs reporting. And they prepared you to cover government issues specifically, but also to just be a more thorough journalist, mm -hmm. someone who doesn't just sort of skim the surface, but who is willing to dig deeper. Um, so I had some great mentors there. Uh, Charlie Wheeler, uh, another great mentor who looked out for me and guided me. Um, he has since retired from the program. And uh, I also got my chance to work as a state house reporter to work in the uh, covering the state legislature in Illinois at the time, which is a male was a, definitely a male dominated space and not only a male dominated space, but I was the, as Zora Neale Hurston would say, the only fly in the buttermilk. Oh, wow. And so, <laughs> so there was a lot of uh, growth there for me because I was a foreign um, prototype, quite frankly. You know, covering state government at that time was primarily a white male um, expertise. And so, Tamara, I noticed that you mentioned a lot of your mentors along the way whether that was at an internship or a job. So can you just talk to us about the importance of having mentors in this industry, especially for aspiring journalists and anchors um, who are Black, Black women? So the reason I have intentionally mentioned my mentors is that I want to make very clear that a lot of times, particularly for a Black woman, who's in position, white males can be invaluable mentors. Uh, they have to be open to mentoring you, but you also have to be open to receiving mentorship. Recently, there's been a lot of conversation about the standard of beauty and the implications it has for Black women in our society. In your experience working in television, how do you feel that the beauty standard plays a role in your everyday life in the workplace? my hair is actually naturally curly. And so you give me in enough humidity, enough moisture, and it's going to go back to its natural state. So I remember doing live shots with a station ball cap, my 
ponytail wasn't, you know, long and, you know, like it had looked when I left the station that day, it was, you know, curly. And I got called into the office the next day and was told that I needed to have a consistent look. And I had to explain to my news director the seven to eight different textures of, of black hair, of ethnic hair, and where I fell in that spectrum and how the science of it, the physiology of it is, unless I'm going to go out there with, you know, uh, hair extensions or a wig, this, this, this is me, right? And so uh, he respected it, actually. I think he found the conversation enlightening. And I was grateful that my mother had raised a daughter capable of advocating for herself, <laughs> uh, because I can imagine if I'd been a young woman um, incapable of doing that, or insecure, I might've been like, oh, I'm so sorry and apologetic about who I had been designed to be. But I wasn't um, apologetic because there was no reason to be apologetic. He just needed a level of awareness that he didn't have, right? I bring that up to say that the expectation when I was coming up in the industry was that you would look like this, that you would have this, you would acclimatize to what was a, a traditional standard of beauty. You know, you saw a lot of black women with, you know, hair extensions, weaves, wigs, highlights in their hair, you know, killing your hair, killing your scalp, <laughs> you know, Naomi Campbell snatched edges just so that you can look a certain way on air. But what has been refreshing to see, I think, in the past five years or so is Black women on air with their natural hair. That blows me away. And I get so excited because that's so freeing and liberating. Now you can really just focus on the story and focus on the journalism. You still have to look professional. You still have to look good, right? It's still a visual medium, but you don't have to be distracted by, okay, I got to stop writing 10 minutes before my live shot, heat up my flat iron. You make sure that everything is in, no, you know, like you don't have to worry about that piece of it. You said before being a good writer isn't enough. You have to look the part as well. How important is physical appearance in television news? The reality is television news is casting. It's no different than casting a movie or a TV show. It's casting. And so anyone who will tell you otherwise isn't telling you the truth. So there were probably jobs that I got because I was a Black female who was competent, but because, oh, okay, we need, we need a little bit more color in this mix in our newsroom, uh, here's Tamara Gibbs. She can walk and talk and write and research. So we're gonna pick her. She fits the bill, what we're looking for. And then there may have been jobs that I didn't get selected for because they didn't need another black person on staff visually, the optics of it, right? Maybe they already had a black woman with long hair and highlights and they didn't need another one. But as our country's population shifts and changes, newsrooms begin to reflect that. Tamara, you have provided such great insight today. But before we conclude, we would like to ask you one final question. For Black women who are aspiring to be news journalists, field reporters, get into public relations or public policy, what advice or tips would you give to these young women? Absolutely. Number one, you must know yourself. You must have a self-awareness. You must educate yourself, not only on your present tense, but on your community's past tense. 
um, you know, meaning the journey, years past, but also where you want to go. Be very clear about your own trajectory and what you're trying to accomplish. So know yourself, be self-aware so that if you're like me and you're calling to the office about your curly hair, you can advocate for yourself from a position of historical understanding and knowledge and also from a position of confidence because you're clear about who you are and where you're going. Uh, number two, uh, don't spend time on haters. You're always going to have critics. You're all, always going to have people who underestimate you. You're always going to have people who scrutinize you. But the thing about criticism is it's actually coming to sharpen your weapon, um, iron sharpening iron. You have to use that criticism to your advantage or that scrutiny to your advantage, not drive yourself in the ground and try to be 10 times better or 20 times better. I think that we need to really retire that perspective, which is residuals of uh, our community as Black people and the history that we've had in this company, country. Um, I think we need to mostly say to ourselves, how can I compete with myself? How can I do better than myself? I compete with only me. And that really was my perspective. I, yeah, sure. There were other reporters that were great in the field, but I was like, but I'm I'm going to be better. I'm, right, I'm the standard, right? I'm the gold standard and I'm going to even best myself, right? And so um, I would also say find mentors and find unlikely mentors. I was in a webinar recently with the um, president of MNF Bank in Durham, James Seals. And he says, look for mentors that aren't your friends, that don't look like you, that will give you honest feedback, not the feedback you want to hear. And so you heard me say, a lot of my, my mentors were white males, you know, and I would go to them and say, I want to get better. I want to do more and I want to learn more. And they were like, well, okay, let's go. Because a lot of times they don't know that you want to learn from them. They're kind of walking on eggshells too. But if you make that first, you know, attempt at, I think you're a knowledgeable person in the room. I'd like to learn from you. They'll open the doors. For, many of them opened many doors for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, lastly, hone your craft. I don't care if your lace front is beautiful. I don't care. If your box braids are tight, I don't care if your eyelashes are on fleek. I don't care if your, your drip is better than everybody else on camera. If you cannot write, if you cannot master language, if you do not read books, if you do not read magazine articles that challenge your vocabulary, you are just another talking head on television. Mm. You must master your skill and be committed to mastering your skill. That is the thing that will distinguish you from everyone else. It's also the thing that will silence your critics. Um, and then finally, reach back. Reach back and pull someone else along. So I try to do that in my teaching, in, in being an adjunct and um, mentoring. Um, so, yeah. 
Thanks to everyone for listening to our podcast. We hope you all enjoyed our conversation and learned a little more about what it's like for Black women working in the news industry and some of their experiences. We would like to thank UNC adjunct professor Tamara Gibbs for being our special guest today. This episode of the Can You Hear Us Now podcast was produced as part of the class project for Mijo 441, Diversity and Communication at the Husband School of Journalism and Media at UNC Chapel Hill. This episode was produced by Monique Williams and Kirsten Steinbacher and recorded on April 1st, 2022. Thanks for listening to the Can You Hear Us Now podcast. We hope we were able to expand your mind and shed some light on this week's topic regarding representation of Black women in media. As always, we encourage you all to take a closer look at the media you consume and don't be afraid to advocate for those who might not have a voice. Make sure to tune in next time when we discuss representation of Indigenous American women in media. You can also head over to our website at CanYouHearUsNowPodcast.com or visit us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to check out more information and resources relating to our episodes. Be sure to leave a like on this episode and subscribe to our program on podcasting platforms including Simplecast, Audible, iHeartRadio, or Spotify, and many, many more. See you next time.